0: Now, as many of us know, World War II officially ended in 1945. Millions of people breathed a sigh of relief that peace had finally come. But for one man, Hiro Onoda, peace did not come in 1945. No, for Hiro, the end of World War II didn't come until 1974. Let me explain why that is. You see, Hiro Onoda was a Japanese army officer stationed on a small island in the Philippines during World War II. And he looked at Hiro and told him to keep fighting, and he said, listen, might take three years, maybe five, but whatever happens, we will come back for you. And so Hiro and three other soldiers with him were faithful to keep fighting, and they kept waiting to be relieved. But not long after this, the war ended, and nobody came to tell these guys. Actually, eventually, they found leaflets on the island that proclaimed the end of the war, but no, that can't be true, they said. It must be enemy propaganda. So they stayed. And over the years, they they foraged for food. They stayed on the lookout for enemy soldiers. In fact, whenever island forces would come to try and get to the men, it just reinforced in their minds that the war was still on. Now, eventually, the three other soldiers with Hiro were either shot or captured, and he was all by himself. And it was only when his former commander was brought back to the island 29 years later and personally delivered the news that the war was over, it was only then that Hiro believed it, laid down his weapon, and returned home to Japan. I mean, how sad is it that for almost three decades peace had been achieved. But because he didn't believe it, he didn't get to actually live his life. I was thinking about his story this week, and you know, it's sad to me that although every Christian is at peace with God, many Christians don't seem to believe. That is that believers, although we are no longer Enemies of God, striving against Him in unbelief. Although we've been eternally rescued by Him, there are many Christians who don't live in the light of these truths. Instead, they live in fear. The fear that they might fall out of God's forgiveness. Fall out of His grace. That they might fall back into condemnation to hell. And because of this fear, they never truly live life for Christ. But, but when we understand the peace that we have in Jesus Christ, the freedom that we have in Him, when we understand that now we live in the new way of the Spirit, that, believers, that's when we start to live the life in Jesus Christ that we were called to. As we turn to Romans chapter 8 together this morning, we're going to see a little bit about what the Christian life should look like. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and take it out. Turn to Romans chapter 8 so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible with you, can use one of those Bibles under the seat in front of you. You can turn in those Bibles to page 916. Page 916, Romans chapter 8. As you turn there, just a quick recap what we saw last week. Last week in Romans 7, we saw that, you know, as Christians, we still struggle with temptation, still struggle at times with sin. But the difference is that as followers of Jesus Christ, now we can live obedient lives like never before. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us. So today we're going to see together what it is to live the Spirit-filled life as Christians. Let's begin together in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writes this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's stop here for just a few minutes. You see, at one time, believers, we were guilty sinners condemned to an eternity separated from God and hell. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been pardoned from that penalty. We've been made right in God's sight. We who were once far from God have been brought into his arms. We who were once his enemies, now, well, now we're at peace with him. In other words, we who are forgiven and pardoned are forever forgiven and pardoned. We will never lose this salvation that we have. right, as Paul put it, God no longer condemns us believers. So why is it that so many of us condemn ourselves? I see this happen a lot. A believer falls into some sin, their eyes are, are open to their wickedness as the Holy Spirit convicts them. And instead of seeing the Spirit's conviction as a call to repentance, they see the conviction as a call to condemnation. But there is no more condemnation for us. You know, our, our sin should grieve us, believers, but sin will not separate us from Jesus if we've been saved by Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for us on the cross. Or do we think that his payment was insufficient? Because that's what the idea of losing our salvation says. Ooh, it says that Christ's sacrifice wasn't, wasn't enough that his forgiveness that he offered us, that it ran dry, that his grace was too limited. Christ took the punishment of our condemnation so that we could be set free from it. Again, we should be grieved over sin. We should be heartbroken over it. But when we're convicted of sin, believers, we should repent and then begin walking in obedience again. And we can do that now by walking according to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit today, so I just want to take a break here for just a minute and explain who it is that we're talking about. Who who is he? Who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. The Bible reveals to us that our God is triune, that is, he is three in one. The doctrine of the Trinity means, very briefly, that God is one in essence and three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are equal in divinity, power, and attributes, yet distinct as to their person and role. And the Bible tells us that in the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit brings us new life. And now he lives within us and he is the seal of our redemption. This morning we're going to see what the Spirit-filled life should look like. And the first thing that I want us to understand, Christians, is that the Spirit-filled life is one of confidence and not fear because we know that we are no longer condemned. And I hope that we will always remember that truth, church. We are no longer condemned. Again, I want to talk about what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And so we should understand there are two ways, Christians, in which we are filled with the Spirit. First... The very moment that we received salvation, the Holy Spirit came to permanently dwell within us. Second, every Christian is then commanded in the Bible to be filled still more with the Spirit. We find that command in Ephesians chapter 5. What does that mean? I mean, how can we make ourselves filled with God's Spirit? What that means is that we must now yield ourselves to the authority of God's Spirit living within us. In other words, we must intentionally choose to follow the leading, convicting, and guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives rather than relying on ourselves or on our sin nature. Think of it this way. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, Christians. Like a cup that was once empty, He now fills that empty space. But when we yield our wills to him. It's like a cup when it's filled to the brim. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I fill a cup of water to the brim, I inevitably spill it. It gets everywhere. It's a mess. I don't even know why I do that anymore. The Spirit dwells in you, believer, but the Spirit-filled life, the life of yielded obedience to him, will inevitably spill over into our relationships, our interactions with others, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's influence in our life will be seen by those around us. And you know, when we live that way, when we live the Spirit-filled life, we won't live in a fear of condemnation. No, because the Spirit assures us that we are forever His. In fact, instead of fear, the Spirit-filled life is marked by obedience. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 5. Paul says, for those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now remember, before we were in Christ, believers, we lived in accord with the flesh. In other words, at our core, we were set on the desires of sin. That doesn't mean that we were incapable of doing good, but it means that our interests and our pursuits were ultimately self-focused and satisfaction-centered. To live according to the flesh is a life hostile to God. That was what we were living when we were His enemies. Despite our best efforts, we couldn't achieve the righteousness that pleases God because our hearts were far from Him. Even our good works were like filthy rags. But now, through the strength of the Holy Spirit, as those who are no longer condemned, we can live for Him. But this happens when we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. When we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, believers, we'll refuse the lure of sin because we'll realize the Spirit calls us to something greater. We'll lean on him for strength rather than leaning on things like legalism, which we talked about last week. We'll pursue what's right in the spirit's sight instead of the things that we think look good in our sight. And that's when we'll find that well, we can live for God like never before. And that's the next thing that I want us to understand about the spirit-filled life. Is that it is characterized by obedience. That's a spirit-filled life. It doesn't mean that we'll never sin but it's characterized by obedience, and that obedience, it'll be a joy, not a chore, not an obligation. Paul says later in verse 12 that if we live by the Spirit, we'll put to death the deeds of the body, and we will live in the way that the Lord desires us to. You see, now that we are in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is in us, now we can live a life that pleases God, unlike when we walked according to the flesh. But like I said, we still... Make mistakes, right? Paul spent a lot of time talking about that in chapter 7. We still struggle. We sin at times. But you see, one of the things about the spirit-filled life that is characterized by obedience is that when we do sin, we'll be genuinely heartbroken over our sin and genuinely repentant of it. And instead of yielding to the flesh all over again, we set our mind on the spirit. And when we set our mind on the Spirit, we live in the peace that we have received by faith. Instead of living in that cycle of sin and guilt and shame that we live in when we live according to the flesh. You see, here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you find yourself today stuck in some cycle of sin, or addiction to some sin habit, then that means that you are not yielding yourself fully to the Holy Spirit. You're either willingly living in sin, or you're stubbornly trying to get free of sin your own way. Many years ago, two friends were traveling together, and one of them said, I want to show you the greatest source of unused power in the world. So they went to the foot of the Niagara Falls, and as those waters came rushing down, all this strength and power in them, he said, there it is. That's a source, the greatest source of unused power in the world. And his friend, who was a believer, said, no, no, it's not. He said the greatest source of unused power is the Holy Spirit of God. Now, some of you probably realize that that's a, that's a pretty old story because actually today mankind has learned how to harness the power of Niagara Falls to generate electricity. It's pretty cool. But the question is, believers, Have we learned to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to live righteously? The Spirit-filled life is one that is dependent on Him to do right. And that's not all. There's a whole lot more for us to see. Look at verse 9. Paul says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Wow. So Paul says, if you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you do not belong to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. You've never given your life to Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what? I don't feel the Holy Spirit convict me when I sin. I'm not grieved over my sin. I I don't have the assurance that I'm not condemned. Friend, if that's what you're thinking, then understand that you stand in one of two places. Uh, You might be saved and you have ignored the voice of the Holy Spirit for so long. That his conviction and leading are hard for you to recognize. If that's true, you need to repent. Or, you aren't saved. And you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Now for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead in great power, lives in you. The one who raised Jesus lives in us. That's incredible. But do we live like that's true in our lives? I was looking at these verses this week and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's it's one thing when the world treats our faith with the disdain that it does. All right, they look and they say our faith is for, for weak people. But it's another thing that apparently a lot of Christians have taken that to heart. They walk around in such weakness. Look, we were called to be meek. In Jesus Christ, that's to have a gentle spirit. We were never commanded to be weak in Jesus Christ. And how could we be? The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. In the second century A.D., there was a man named Justin. Justin gave his life to Jesus Christ, became a powerful preacher, unapologetic about the gospel, He's willing to debate with everyone, but unwilling to bow down to the pagan kings or deities of the Roman Empire. And it's written that one of the things that Justin just couldn't stand, that he resented, was the public mindset that Christians are weak. He resented that idea. And he proved that wasn't the case. One day, Justin and some other believers were arrested, and they were commanded to either renounce their faith in Jesus and bow to Caesar or die. Well, Justin and all those with him stood firm for Jesus Christ. So sure enough, they were scourged and then beheaded. Now we now know him as, in church history, Justin Martyr. And Justin Martyr, before his death, he, uh, he wrote this. Really listen to what he said. He said, The love of truth ought to choose in every way, even at the cost of his own life, to speak and to do what is right, even though death should take him away. He wrote... You can kill us, but you can't do us any real harm. And Justin Martyr was right. Of course the world can't do us any real harm, believers. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, we're at peace with God. But we're no longer condemned. As Christians, we have confidence that at the end of human history, we too will be raised by the Spirit into immortal and imperishable bodies that will never fade away. Understand what I'm trying to say is this. The third thing about living the spirit-filled life is that we know something better awaits us in the future. Justin Martyr understood that. That's why he wasn't afraid. Look, this life is hard, right? It's filled with difficulty, believers. We'll battle against the sin nature, and the world is going to hate us for our faith. We're going to encounter trials and difficulties but here's the thing this life isn't all that there is through this life the spirit of the living god dwells within us this life awaits the greatest of all things for followers of jesus christ an eternity with him in a perfect resurrected body see something better awaits us so we don't mope around in this life no the holy spirit lives in us we have a purpose We have a new life in him. And no matter what the world says or does, we look forward to what awaits us after this life. Oh, and that's something we can rejoice in. Here's something else we can rejoice in. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living in accord with the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, that's all Christians, are children of God. How incredible is it that we who were once God's Enemies are now called his children. Understand something. Uh, Despite what you hear people say, it is not true that all humans are all God's children. That is not true. In fact, the Bible tells us that before we were in Christ, we were children of wrath, children of the devil. But when we came to Jesus Christ in faith, we became a part of the family of God. Every once in a while, Judah will look at me, and he will call me Andrew. <laughs> yeah, he thinks it's funny too. Yeah, That's why he does it. He thinks that it's, it's funny. He also knows that I don't like it. So he asked me why, and recently I told him that one of the reasons that I don't like that is because I, I love when he calls me Dad. And I explained to him, I said, look, I said, you know, the name Dad is something special that only you and your brother Simon can rightly call me. And so I love when I hear you call me Dad. And here in the Bible, we're told that we who are filled with the Spirit can cry out to God and call him Abba, Father. Uh, that, that Aramaic word Abba, by the way, has been described by one author as an informal term for Father, connoting intimacy, tenderness, dependence and complete lack of fear or anxiety. One pastor said that modern English equivalents would be daddy or papa. So understand this, believers. God doesn't just call us his children. We get to call him our father, and he wants us to call him father. Oh, and that, that is a special name for his children, to call him. Everyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit can call him father we were adopted and then the holy spirit came and and began living within us and we're told that he assures us of this adoption the spirit testifies to our spirit that we are god's children you see another joy of the spirit-filled life is that we know who we belong to we have the assurance of our adoption our salvation because the spirit testifies to that in our hearts in fact, one of the things that I counsel people when people come to me and they say that they're beginning to doubt their, their salvation, to doubt whether they are truly saved, one of the many things that I counsel them to do is I, I tell them to pray to God to make it clear whether or not they belong to Him. Because if they do, the Holy Spirit will assure their hearts of this, even in tough times of doubt. Earlier this week, I had planned to conclude right here on this note, that we know who we belong to. But then the Lord laid it on my heart that I was skipping over something very important for us to understand, church. The very end of verse 17, Paul said this. He said, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. One last thing about the spirit-filled life that I desperately want us to understand is that the spirit-filled life won't be easy, church. That's incredible, the Spirit-filled life. It's incredible. We're at peace with God. We're no longer condemned. We can finally live a life that pleases Him. We know who we belong to. We know that greater things await us in eternity. Well, Paul says that as children of God, we become fellow heirs with Christ. But just as we will share in the joys of heaven and the presence of the Father, in this life we will share in the sufferings of our Savior. Now, sadly, this is where... Some professing Christians draw the line. They say, whoa, look, I'm on board with the joy, the family stuff, maybe even the obedience. But suffering is where I draw the line. Believer, when we live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit, not only will we face opposition from our sin nature, but you can trust that the devil and the world will also fight against us. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But you want to know something? When we are all in for the Lord, we are fully yielded to him. Even when that suffering comes, we'll have the same mindset as Paul. who said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that all these sufferings are light and momentary afflictions compared to the glory that awaits us. Believers, this is the spirit-filled life. Is it easy? No. No, it's not easy, but it's incredible. It's incredible. It's greater than the false promises of sin. The joy of it lasts far longer than any satisfaction of the flesh. And the spirit-filled life, living that life, is the only way to live in the peace and the joy that Christ promises even when we struggle and battle against the flesh. The Holy Spirit already dwells within you, Christian. Uh, The question this morning is whether or not your life could be described as Spirit-filled. Or if you were honest, would your life more accurately be described as self-focused? Remember this truth, church. The Holy Spirit testifies to who we are and to how we ought to live. We need to remember that this is what the Holy Spirit does. He testifies to who we are and how we want to live, but understand something. If we choose not to listen to the Holy Spirit when He tells us how we ought to live, then let's not be surprised when we miss out on the joy of His assurance of who we are. Believer, don't ignore the leading and conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, I would encourage all of us believers this morning, as Pastor Richard comes and leads us in a final song, to respond however it is that the Holy Spirit is leading you, because maybe there's something some of us we need to let go of in our lives, some sin, some cycle of sin, a habit, or something that we need to confess and let go of. Maybe we see another way in which we are being self-focused and not spirit-led, and we need to bring that to Him in prayer. Maybe some of us need need to stay sitting in our seats and pour out our hearts to God. Maybe some of us need to come to the altar and pour out our hearts to God. As some people do that, maybe the rest of us need to surround them in prayer as a church. Maybe some of us just need to stand up and sing as loud as we can in great joy. But however he is leading you, I pray that you will respond appropriately, believer. And if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given him your life, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that you should not come to Jesus Christ for an easy life. Anybody who told you that that is what you would receive lied to you. Well, come to Jesus for an easy life. We're not guaranteed that. We're guaranteed just the opposite. No, come to Jesus for eternal life. Come to Jesus because he's the only one who can forgive us of our sin. He's the only one who can save us from hell. He's the only one who can give us eternal life. And friend, it's true. This life won't be easy following Jesus. But he'll be with us every step of the way. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, understand that you can do that before you leave. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. He took our punishment so we could be pardoned from hell. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we want you to know that you can do that before you leave. Let's pray together. If you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior, friend, look, you you can come during the... Final invitation song, you can talk with me. We can talk about whatever questions you have. We can pray together. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ, I don't want you to wait another minute. So if you're ready, then I encourage you to go to Jesus Christ in prayer right now and admit to Him that you know that you're a sinner, but that you believe He died on the cross for your sins and that He rose from the dead. And friend, ask Him to forgive you and to be your Savior. And I promise you on the authority of God's Word, He will. He will forgive you. You'll be adopted into God's family. You'll forever belong to Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus, who who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, help us to realize this morning what that means. That we we can walk through this life with great confidence that we belong to you, that we are no longer condemned, that we are at peace with you, and that now we can live a life that pleases you. And help us to be determined to do that. When we fall to sin, help us to be heartbroken over it, to genuinely repent and get back to living for you. And Father, if there are any of us here who have sins we need to confess to you, sinful habits that need to get out of our lives, convict our hearts of these things, if there are ways that we are not living the Spirit-filled life the way that we ought to, reveal that to us. And let this be a time that we pour our hearts out to you in prayer and praise and song so that you'd be glorified. Because that's what the Spirit-filled life is all about. It's about you being glorified. I pray that that would be true here in this church and in each of our lives. Father, Thank you that we can call you Father. We love you, but we know that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.